I'm Andrew Murata, host of the Education Leadership and Beyond podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Kirsten Rickert, an innovation expert, and Jeff Eichler, a career and leadership coach. And they've written an amazing book called Shifting, How School Leaders Can Create a Culture of Change. They're also the host of the thought-provoking podcast called Getting Unstuck, Shift for Impact. Lots to learn today. Glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Kirsten Rickard is an innovation expert who works with leaders on transformational efforts. Kirsten teaches design thinking, communication, and innovation at a number of colleges in the greater New York City area. Her teaching draws upon her experience in three core disciplines, business management, ideation methodology, and facilitation. She received her undergraduate degree in social science from Hampshire College, her master's degree in social studies education from Teachers College at Columbia University, and her training in innovation and, fac- and facilitation methods from SIT System systematic inventive thinking you know you put those letters together in my brain and the mouth didn't say it the right way but we're good and top technology of participation which is good stuff formerly vice president of product management and marketing at pearson the world's leading educational publisher kirsten oversaw the creation of breakthrough digital first k-12 curriculum trained as a corporate on-call innovation coach she's helped teams plan new efforts generate ideas and execute on strategies now as an innovation catalyst kirsten guides change efforts for organizations, especially in the areas of education and human development. She is particularly interested in organizations that integrate the arts into their work towards social change, such as the Alliance for Arts and Health, New Jersey, Real Beauty, Uncovered, and the Barat Foundation. Jeff Eichler is director of Quitico Career and Leadership Coaching, a firm dedicated to helping individuals overcome career issues and leaders develop sustained changes in their leadership practices and organizations. He received a certificate in coaching from the Coach Training Institute, a firm recognized as one of the leading coach training organizations in the world. His approach blends data-driven coaching and consulting informed by working for more than 35 years in the corporate world. Jeff holds a master's in the teaching of history along with a bachelor's in history from the University of Illinois. He taught high school history in Maywood and Batvia, Illinois, for seven years. Like Kirsten, he is a certified innovation facilitator using the SIT systematic inventive thinking process. I'm doing good. I'm getting (laughs) the. uh, He is a former executive vice president at Pearson Learning, where he directed the development of text and technology-based products for all disciplines. He finished his career at Pearson by leading the development of its multidimensional leadership development program for school administrators, working closely with authors Lyle Kurtman and Michael Fullen. He currently works with Lyle Kurtman to support change in school districts and nonprofit organizations. Kirsten and Jeff also co-host Getting Unstuck, Shift for Impact, a podcast that helps individuals and organizations undertake productive change, change that helps them achieve their desired outcomes and impact. Kirsten and Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks for having us on today, Steve. Glad to have you both, and uh, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, for some strange reason, my brain gets stuck on SIT. What, you know, why? (laughs) Anyway, we'll move past that. Um, 
So I'm glad to have you guys here. And before we get into your book, Shifting How School Leaders Can Create a Culture of Change, let's talk about something else first. Kirsten, you teach design thinking at the college level. What do you like about teaching others? I am really motivated when I teach in thinking about what my students might have as their potential outcome. So whatever course I teach, whether it's management or design thinking or innovation or organizational behavior, I'm always thinking, okay, so for this person, what might they be doing with this? How might this advance their goals, their life? And then I kind of think a little bit about what I already know about that and design the course backwards to what I'm planning to cover. Because in any topic, there's really sort of an outline that you typically cover. But when I teach people about design thinking, I'm not just interested in them understanding the core concepts. I really want them to have experience applying it to something that they care about making happen. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Jeff, uh, you were a high school history teacher. What'd you like best about teaching kids? Uh, that's a great question, Steve. And um, I, I think what, what first came to mind is I liked it best when kids started asking me questions. And I don't mean, is this going to be on the test? Um, I, what I mean is that we had talked about something, we had read something, we had seen something that caused uh, students to be reflective and they started asking what and why questions or how questions. And that's when I knew that they were engaged. Excellent. And it's, it's cool that uh, you guys did all this stuff, but you also teach. So I, I think that's awesome. And, uh, they, uh, and, and Jeff, we have this commonality here, history teachers rock. So good stuff. You betcha. <laughs> yeah. I was a social studies person too. Nice. Right? Awesome. When I ever, whenever I teach business, I'm always coming to it from a social studies lens, really. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's, you know, that's good stuff there. So, um, so we have some common language here and uh, let's, let's move into, you know, so your book is called Shifting, How School Leaders Can Create a Culture of Change. Before we go any further, let's, devi let's define what you mean by change. You know, let's get a common, common image of that word. So there are, uh, there are three things I think we could talk about here, Steve. Uh, when we talk about change, we're talking about complex changes that a district or a school might undertake. Um, let's say that um, instead of the standard uh, curriculum that's uh, uh, being offered, maybe a school or a, a school district wants to migrate to mini courses. So instead of offering U.S. history for an entire year, we're going to offer U.S. history, a period of U.S. history for six weeks, and then we're going to offer an engineering course for six weeks. And uh, macrobiology for six weeks. And I'm making these courses up, but the idea being a school district might want to expose kids to um, more courses. So uh, kind of a, a broader look um, as opposed to a deep look. The idea being that would be a complex shift for a, a district to undertake. Another idea would be uh, they're moving to uh, restorative practices. Uh, that's nothing that you can simply say, oh, we're going to do restorative practices now and have it implemented overnight. Um, maybe, maybe they're implementing a keystone project for their juniors and seniors. And um, again, these are things that, that would take months, perhaps even years to develop. So when we talk about change, we're talking about complex changes that a school district or a school would undertake. The other thing I want to talk about here is when we talk about change, 
we talk about it in the context of it being uh, reflective of what the school district or the school is trying to accomplish on behalf of those it serves. We're not just taking on a change because it's the latest thing to do. We're always looking through the lens of how is this helping our kids? How is this uh, meeting the needs that we've identified that, that really are, that move towards the outcomes and the impact that we want to achieve? And I think the third thing is when we talk about change, we're not just talking about the mechanics of change. What we're really talking about are the people, the leaders and the people that implement change. Um, I think that's what, uh, that's a big focus of, of our book is taking into consideration those two halves, the mechanics and the people. Excellent. And I appreciate you taking time to talk about that because I think sometimes people have different ideas about what we're, what you're talking about. So I, I want to make sure we kind of define that. They, uh, and, and I love it when you have a little quote at the beginning of the book, which is from Dilbert. And I love Dilbert <laughs> because sometimes just gets straight to the point. And, you know, Scott Adams uh, the, just did an awesome job with this comic here. And you start off with a quote from Gil Dilbert. Change is good. You go first. <laughs> Why'd you include this? I think it's, em it's emblematic of how people, a lot of people look at change is that, um, yeah, yes, we, we have this vision of something being uh, better, there, there being an improvement, but change is hard. It, 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 it actually operates against our DNA. You know, we want to be safe and secure. And so, yeah, that's a good idea. You go first, Steve, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I've actually seen a comic that has kind of three panels and the first panel, the leader's up on the podium and there's a giant audience and he's saying, you know, we should change. And everybody was, is like, yeah, yes. And then sort of like, you know, um, you need to change. And everybody's kind of looking at him like this. And then he's saying, you know, let's change now. And there's like nobody in the audience. And he's looking really disappointed. And I think part of kind of what generated this book is really about that puzzlement on the part of the leader about that transition between sort of, hey, you know, when you're talking about how the, everything's messed up and things need to change, everybody's on board with you, but by the time you get to them taking action on it, there's nobody there and it's crickets. And so that feeling of a leader of sort of, having the rug pulled out from under you and not understanding why and what to do about it. That's kind of why we wrote the book because there's lots of reasons why that happens. And once you know them and you have a sort of a, a process to help people move there and still be with you and you're not on the podium anymore, you're all together. You know, that's, that's kind of what this is about. I love that because there have been, you know, it, having been someone who has instituted change, who's been, you know, right up there, you know, follow me or, or, you know, instead of the other direction, you guys go first type thing. You know, it's, it is one of those things where a lot of times then you find out, then there's some giant, giant thing in front of you that says, whoa, hey, you're not doing my thing. You know, I, I want you to change my way or something. Like, and you're like, whoa, okay. Well, do we go through the, that person or do we go around them or do we back off? And I think, you know, I think what, you know, Dilbert's talking about there, what's great in that saying right there, a great way to start is that, yeah, it's always good for other people, but there are those things that might, you know, have a tendency to knock us off our, 
our career path or do all kinds of things if we go after it. So, you know, that's a, there's, also, there's also a certain wisdom in the, you go first. I know we're teasing like that's a bad thing, right. but in some ways people kind of need to see you go first and see <laughs> what happens and see, are you sticking it through? Are you, are you sweating it? Is it kind of working? Can I imagine myself doing it? And so part of, Part of this is actually like, how do you start that happening so that people are like, okay, I'm in. I like that. The, uh, the detractors will get on board as soon as they start to see results. If they see enthusiasm, um, they, will, they will generally get on board. One of, the, one of the educators that we profiled in the book told the story of um, a, I think she called him a crusty old veteran. And, you know, this is somebody who'd been in the district for 35 years and, you know, was set in his ways. But um, his kids started talking about the technology that was going on in Mr. So-and-so's class. And so the crusty old veteran follows the assistant superintendent down the hall and says, hey, what's this I hear about technology? Can I get in on this? And so the, sometimes, you know, Kirsten's right, you know, the detractors will come along if they start to see success. That, that's awesome. And I love it because it's, you know, it, you can easily go towards the negative side of it, but it's got a positive too. And I, I like that. So not, uh, kudos on starting the book that way because lots of images there. So good stuff. The, you know, in the beginning, you share your ARC model, A-R-C, model of change, assess, ready, change. Give us a short description of what this is. Well, one of the big mistakes that folks make when they undertake a complex change. When, when you're talking about a simple change that's well-defined and that's kind of small and manageable, you can go from, oh, I got to do something to doing something. That's, that's cool. But when you're talking about a complex change with lots of interlocking dependencies, then going from, huh, there's a problem into doing something is a giant mistake. Instead, if you are deliberate about breaking it into three stages, you have a much better chance for success. So the first stage in assess, you see what the situation is. A lot of times the presenting problem, in other words, the thing that people are complaining about may not actually be the root problem. Right? So a lot of times, if you go straight from, huh, there's something going on to let's do something about it, you might not even be doing something about the right thing. You could be solving the wrong problem. Exactly. So there's an assess phase where you look at yourself as a leader and you look at what's going on in the organization as a whole and even outside the organization. In other words, if you're thinking about a school, what's happening in the district? What's happening in the state? What's happening in the country? What are the trends that are happening that are affecting us? You're actually looking at the inner and outer layers. So that's what's happening during assess. And by the end of assess, you have a pretty good idea of what you're trying to solve, all right? Then during the ready stage, you're actually getting yourself ready. You've done an assessment. You kind of know what you th your, your issue is. Are you and in the case of looking at yourself as a leader, there may be some areas where during the assessment you went, oh, look at that. I got to do something about that, right? Or during the, during the assessment of the organization, you realize, hey, there are some really important things that we need people's input and ideas on. 
And, and you can't, you, you actually need to get different perspectives in order to come up with lots of ideas that would allow you to take action, right? So that's what's happening during the ready stage. At the end of the ready stage, you pretty much have a sense of how you're going to address the problem. In other words, the solution and some things that you know are key ways you want to play with solving that solution, right? And then in the change phase, you actually designate um, a bit of a timeline where you are going to take action and see what happens and then take bigger action based on results and then take a little bit bigger action based on results so that you're actually building a couple of iterative feedback loops into your process as a leader. In other words, you're trying stuff out and seeing what works and building on your success, growing into this, those new places where you need to lead differently. And as an organization, you're actually saying, okay, so if we bid off micro, micro classes, the way he described, like, let's not do that for every class in every school of an, in a district. Let's try it out in disciplines that, that we already have some, some expertise around and see what happens just in this one limited area and then do. So there's lots of, so piloting basically. So that's kind of what happens during the change phase. And during the change phase, you have some key check-in points. And during those check-in points that are already kind of laid out, everybody knows that you're gonna reflect on how it's going so far and you're going to take new action, decide on new action. And those are sort of preset check-in points. Obviously you can be flexible to change them as you go, but that's a moment where you can stop, take inventory and redirect and, and energize, get energized, celebrate, and then keep going. So that's kind of how the ARC model works. Assess, ready, change. Excellent. And in a little bit, we're going to get into why initiative, change initiatives fail. And I think there's going to be some connection there, I, I would think, just a little bit. The, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I got to say before we go any further is that you have some really cool resources that are linked throughout this book. I mean, you actually get to hear from people that are talking about, as a, as a reader of the book, you get to go um, link to the QR code or click on the link or whatever, or, you know, uh, yeah, click on the link, however you're reading it. And uh, the Sorry, I just imagined myself pushing on the link on the book and going, hey, it's not working. Never mind. Um, but, you know, you get to put in the link or you get to use the QR code. And you have these really awesome, the, the ability to hear you guys, uh, people from your, your uh, podcast or uh, interviews or whatever. That's awesome. First of all, why'd you do it? And thanks for doing it. I think it's cool. So I, I can't hear, I can't wait to hear why. And then I got to tell you, that's a, that's a really neat thing. So thanks for doing that. Well, one of the one of the hallmarks, or at least we we feel it's a hallmark of the book, Steve, is that we went to um, we went to educators um, and had them tell stories about change, positive and negative experiences that they had had relative to change. And Mark, do you want to say a little bit about who Margaret is? Yeah, our third our third author, uh, Margaret Sakay, is a former award-winning um, uh, elementary school principal from Connecticut. And she was critical on the program because uh, one, she had some connections with educators, but two, she could readily speak the language of ed educators. And as Kirsten and I were writing the narrative, um, Margaret was doing a lot of the interviews and the interviews, the content of the interviews, then we infused into the narrative to support 
um, our thinking or actually in many cases to change our thinking. So um, the, those leader voices are critical. And well, these were often lengthy interviews and we didn't want to just you know, uh, provide a snippet in the book. So what we're actually doing is providing um, uh, what we're calling mini podcast episodes on the website that you're talking about, Steve, so that if people want uh, more detail, they can, they can click on this QR code, code and go there. The other, the other bit of resource that we are including is there were points in the narrative where um, we felt where an example was necessary, but if we included it in the narrative, it would have impacted the flow. So for example, one of the things we talk about um, uh, in a section on um, the neuroscience of change is this idea of uh, sometimes people have competing commitments. And the reason they, they can't really successfully change is that they have a hidden commitment in their mind that prevents them from doing the, the explicit goal. Well, there's a, there's a great um, template that can showcase um, how you can actually go about identifying your hidden commitment. But if we had put that in the book, it would have interrupted the flow. So that's the type of resource then that we put into the website. And we have a number of those types of things. I love that because that just, it, it makes the book interactive. And that's so cool because it reinforces what you've been reading. Here's these voices of people who are doing and uh, nice. I, I love that. Yeah. And, you know, it really goes with what Margaret and I wanted and, and Jeff wanted for this book, which is don't just read it, do stuff, yeah. try it out, yeah. you know, fill out the template, see what happens, notice what's happening, take action, you know? Very cool. Excellent. The, uh, you know, shifting how school leaders can create a culture of change starts with a section on why change initiatives fail. Been there, done that. <laughs> you share three reasons, neglecting the why, neglecting the who, and neglecting the what. Could you talk about why change initiatives fail? Yeah, so there's this uh, statistic that's often quoted that up to 70% of all uh, complex change initiatives fail. And um, you, can, you can Google reasons for this, but when we looked at this, uh, what really stood out for us, especially in the education space, are, are these three reasons. Neglecting the why, I think a lot of our book um, rotates on this idea that um, oftentimes a school district or a school uh, does not have a lens to look through to say why we're making a change. What, what is it that we're really trying to accomplish on behalf of the kids that we're trying to serve? And then, and then weigh a perspective change against that. Uh, we had a number of, of teachers that we interviewed tell us uh, that, you know, their principal will come back from a conference and they're, they're all excited about X, Y, or Z, and they start to implement a change, but it's, it, there's, no, there's no regard for whether it's coherent with everything else that the district is trying to do on behalf of the kids. So nailing down this why, we spent a lot of time in the book talking about why the why why it's critical for a district or a school to really define its why. Um, the who, as Kirsten said, um, uh, before we spend it, we spend at least half the book talking about leadership and talking about staff and how you, how you assess them and how you get them ready for change. And oftentimes when people approach change, they're doing it on the mechanical side. They're doing the mechanics of the change and they're not looking at who's leading, 
and who's actually implementing it. So that is, is a critical element. And then finally, the what, um, as Kirsten talked about, uh, the, the tendency is to try to jump in to, to change what you think is the issue, but you really haven't taken the time, you haven't asked the, the critical questions to figure out if, if that is really the issue or is there something underlying that we have to change. So looking uh, more carefully about the what. The thing that holds all three of these together is really the idea of going slow to go fast, is that districts, schools can sometimes undertake change um, because it, it might be the, the, uh, the thing that's being talked a lot about in educational circles, but they, they really haven't done the assessment or the preparation to do it. So our watch phrase during the, during, uh, during the book is really to go slow, to go fast. That's, you know, just powerful advice right there, because that's, you know, having been part of some of those change initiatives that fail, or you can see it coming down, it's going to up to that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you not see the writing on the wall here? You know, I'm just rambling all over the place because that's exactly all the thoughts that go through your mind. And sure enough, it collapses because of whatever. And you guys have got a very strong section there that all leaders that are going to even consider about change need to make sure they read. You know, the, uh, one of the things that you, you talk about early in the book is this, and I'm, I'm taking it completely out of context, but I got to make sure we talk about it, which is don't take control, give control. What are you talking about? So the idea there is, um, uh, and again, one of the, one of the reasons that uh, changes fail is that they're often top down driven is that somebody um, in an elevated position has an idea that they, uh, they want to see exercised and they try to drive it down into the organization without getting buy-in from the people that have to implement it. So uh, the, the phrase don't take control, give control came from, uh, we find it fascinating. It's a very unusual source. David Marquet, who was a United States Navy submarine captain, um, he inherited the worst performing submarine in the Navy. And um, the first order he gave uh, was actually an order that could not be exercised. But his, his exec officer um, then told the, I forget, the helms helmsman. the helmsman, he said he repeated the order. And the helmsman sat there and he couldn't exercise the order. And Marquet asked his exec, he said, why did, you, why did you ask him to do something that you knew he couldn't do? And the exec said, because you ordered me to. And Marquet knew then he had a problem. He didn't have 135 thinkers on board his ship. He had 135 doers, people who were only taking orders. And change is going to fail if people in the ranks are only uh, taking orders and doing what they're told. And this goes so well, Steve, with one of your podcasts when you interviewed uh, uh, Ted Dintersmith. Uh, where he talks about the teachers have to be given more control over what they're doing in their in their classrooms, and the same has to do with change. If you want to change what's what needs to be changed, you have to go to the source because that's where people people know what's really going on. So don't take control, don't hold control, give control to the people that have the information and the knowledge and the wherewithal to change. Yeah, I think I think people leaders talk about getting the troops on board with using the word buy-in and buy-in implies you're sort of convincing them against their will, 
right? Right. But what Jeff was just speaking to is this idea that actually if you give control with the guidelines and with structure, right? But you're giving control, then what you're getting is the wisdom, expertise, talents, um, and energy of all the people who are working there with the assumption that everyone is working towards that important why. And the results that you get in that kind of setup are vastly different than having a bunch of people chained together, pulling in the direction you are telling them to while whipping them, you and, know? Yeah, and, and just to finish the story, when Captain Marquet implemented um, this idea, when he started to give control to his junior officers, and they in turn gave control to, uh, to the men aboard the ship, um, within two years, they, that submarine became the highest performing submarine in the Navy. Nice. Love it. That's Love a great it. story. Turn yeah. the Ship Around is the name of the book. Awesome story. Awesome book. They, uh, um, you know, one of the things that uh, um, you talk about is the importance for leaders to understand neuroscience and change. And specifically, could you talk about recognizing staff exhaustion? Because there's a lot of little topics in there, but the staff exhaustion part is something that I, I wanted to get us to, but I, I love the, the thought about it needing to understand neuroscience. Yeah. What's, so uh, there are two parts to this. Um, um, and again, this comes from the teachers that we interviewed. Um, we often got phrases from them like flavor of the month that, <laughs> that, or this too will change. This yes. too will change. And you can almost imagine a change being announced and the faculty sitting uh, with their arms crossed, you know, because again, here's another change. This is, we're going to do this for a little bit and then there's going to be something else come along. So there is actually legitimate exhaustion on the part of staff because they haven't finished one change. It's not coherent with anything else. And now they're being asked to do something else. But sometimes um, resistance can be misdiagnosed. And we talk about this in the book, and leaders have to be aware of this. Um, sometimes um, resistance isn't resistance, it's, it's simply exhaustion, that teachers are tired, and they have um, any number of things can be causing this. It could be fatigue from, from too many change initiatives or whatever, but it's simply exhaustion. They, they need things to slow down, they need to uh, be able to reflect on the change and see how it's going to fit with other things. Another idea is this idea of competing commitments, is that you could have leaders who want to see a certain change in their own behavior, but they have a hidden commitment that prevents them from doing it. So that could, that could mimic resistance too. Uh, and then a third one is transitions, is that sometimes the changes are occurring so fast, we haven't given people time to adjust from what they used to do, what they're no longer doing, and now they're being asked to do something new. So we do have definite resistance, but we also have things that can simply slow down the process, again, because we haven't really taken the people, either the leaders or the people implementing the change, enough into account. Yeah, I mean, in the teaching profession, there's so much emotional labor. There, there are all these things that you're responsible for, and, and the cup is often full to... to and overflowing and then you're trying to add some more stuff in on the top and so just recognizing it 
knowing that it might be exhaustion or asking the question, how much of this quote unquote resistance is exhaustion opens up a different kind of dialogue. And there's, there's a lot to be learned inside of there. And one of the things that you can do to really help with this during this process, we talk very carefully during the setup of an arc change and actually throughout the change, the, the stages of the change process in what else is on people's plates. Okay, so you just made a really aggressive calendar for this, for getting this, whatever this new thing done is. Great. What other stuff is going on about in those same time periods? And you can just see the lights on people's eyes like, oh, okay, right. So let's move that out. Or you know what? Let's, let's maybe scale that one back. Or you know what? We are going to have to staff up if we're actually thinking about doing that. So there's like a, a call to reality. And, and describing it or creating the possibility that there, it is exhaustion and not not passive aggressive behavior, it changes it from a blame game into kind of an acknowledgement that everybody's human. You know, it, it opens up new possibilities because you can re-energize people, right? Yeah, they might not be, they might not be resistant to the change, they could be exhausted. And one of the things um, there is that we haven't recognized the good work that they're doing. And that's, that's really a critical part. And it gets to this idea of leadership and the importance to recognize that these are human beings. They have feelings. They have a lot on their plate. And we have to, we have to legitimately acknowledge what it is that they're doing well because change often has the implication we're doing something wrong, so we have to change. Well, no, we're doing a lot right, and this is going to augment it. But a lot of times we don't take that time to do that. Oh, I think that's so powerful right there because that's some, it's, you're so right. I mean, it, you see it happen and you have to take time. And the problem here is that it takes time to, to work with people. You know, I, it's, it's a lot easier to go, just do as I say, you know, so you, you do, you have to bring them together and you have to work together. And it's, this is, I think this whole thing about, you know, understanding that what you're seeing from them may not be resistance, but exhaustion is so you know, it, important that uh, because it's so easy just to be because sometimes we're a, as a leader in a building who's doing change, you're energized by the the shifting that's starting to happen, and you forget that uh, you need to kind of take a look at what all is going on on their plates as they're learning different things or they're dealing with you know whatever's happening. You know, um, there's so many things. So uh, I think it's powerful, powerful. Um, I, I love the book. It's, it's awesome. I think you're going to do well with it. And I, I think your readers are, are going to really like uh, having taken a chance to, uh, to, to read your words. Thank you, Steve. You're very welcome. Um, you know, Jeff and Kirsten, before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? And would you talk a little bit about your podcast, Getting Unstuck, Shift for Impact? So the podcast, uh, Getting Unstuck, Shift for Impact, is all about helping individuals and organizations undergo productive change. And to do it with a, a big spotlight on who is doing it and who is leading it and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And increasingly, uh, with the book coming out, we're shifting from a kind of a general focus on change to a more specific focus on change in education. 
that's what uh, that's what the uh, the interviews will be forthcoming. And uh, there is a website uh, associated with the book. Um, it's www. W, shifting for impact, shiftingforimpact.com, and it should be ready in early March, mid-March, uh, and that's where you will find these mini-podcasts mini and the extra content that we did not include in the book. Even though we have similar backgrounds, we come from it from a very different orientation. He usually is thinking from the leadership lens, and I am often thinking from the organizational lens, and so we on our podcast, we typically uh, invite guests and talk to them and hear their stories. And one of the features we do is actually transformation stories where we ask someone to tell their, their story of making a big change in three acts. What, what was their situation before? What was the catalyst or turning point? And kind of where are they now? with the idea that it's really helpful hearing people tell stories about making a big change because it helps you know, hey, you know, it's normal to feel this way. And, you know, this is how I can think about it. And, you know, my transformation happened, but it's actually still a process and a journey, right? Yep. I'm thinking of two episodes we just taped. One was with um, the head of an educational service agency. And, uh, that was very enlightening for us because it was what this person was seeing, what kind of issues the service agency is trying to support their, their teachers with. Um, another interview was with uh, Michael Bungay-Stanier, uh, who is, uh, wrote The Coaching Habit. And uh, coaching has become a, a very uh, accepted uh, practice in leadership circles increasingly so in business, but I think it's gaining some interest in, in schools as well. Um, so we always try to do something where people can walk away and they're going to have something that they can immediately uh, put to use uh, or be reflective about. Excellent. Excellent. And it's a great show. I'm a subscriber and uh, I've listened to all your episodes. I so love it. And uh, very good. So uh, thank you so much. And I've got two last questions if we could. And they go like this. If you had the chance to talk with an audience of 100 school principals, what is one thing that you would want them to remember about change and school and leadership? It all starts with you. If we're talking to an audience of leaders, um, we are very clear in the book that um, leaders have to be authentic. They have to be emotionally intelligent because if they're not picking up the signals of the people that they're working with on the change initiative, that change is bound to fail. So the leader has to have their emotional house in order. And half, half the book actually deals with leadership. We have a, a leadership self-assessment built into the book that um, uh, people can take and they can get a lot of feedback on. There are coaching questions associated with it. There are activities associated with it. But we feel very strongly that successful change really starts with the leader. Excellent. So last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? So there are so many amazing teachers in my past. The one that occurs to me right now, his name is Mr. Friedman. He was my sixth grade science teacher. And I was brand new in that middle school and had no friends yet. 
And I sat next to somebody who wound up becoming a lifelong friend, uh, still know her today. And Mr. Friedman was the most amazing mix of incredible science teaching. Like he was able to break very complex science concepts down into into easy for us to understand. I got a very deep science uh, education. You know, coming out of elementary school, you don't, you get exposure, but no real deep science. And I was so jazzed. And uh, my best friend and I sitting next to each other were so lit up. But what made Mr. Friedman so different and so remarkable and so memorable is that he combined this academic prowess and depth which with a sort of goofy, fun, respectful class style, right? So, so he had us, he, he was always doing like little things like if you yawned in his class, he said, oh, no yawning here, pull on your ear. That will keep you from yawning, pull on your ear. No, okay, yes, oh, all right, perfect. <laughs> and, and he would make us memorize these weird little things. This was science, right? And he, me he made us memorize uh, a part of The Walrus and the Carpenter by Lewis Carroll, which I remember to this day. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, of why the sea is boiling hot and whether little pigs have wings. And nice. when that comes up, my best friend and I, years later, still go through the whole poem. <laughs> he made a tremendous impact because it was sort of that goofy, playful, um, personal side and the science academic rigor side. And it made an enormous difference to me. Well, awesome. if you remember that, it certainly did. Yeah, very Yes, good. so much so. Thank you. Jeff? Uh, my, my teacher, he actually has a very similar name to Kirsten. It was, it was Timothy Freed, and he was my sophomore world history teacher. And what I re remember distinctly about him, uh, this would, uh, the class was actually held in somewhat of a, um, a lecture hall like you would experience more in college. You know, it's kind of a stadium atmosphere. Um, he would walk in in a rumpled white shirt with his sleeves rolled all the way up. That was what he wore every day. But he made world history interesting because he did it from a story perspective. And um, they were kind of lectures, but they were more story lectures. And they were captivating. And I just remember, uh, I distinctly remember his class. And I don't think, I, it's no surprise that I went on to major in history. And he played a big part in it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you both for telling, sharing your stories. That is so cool to hear the, the impact that uh, teachers had on you. So neat. You know, Kirsten and Jeff, thank you so much for talking with us today. Shifting How School Leaders Can Create a Culture of Change is a powerful, insightful book that school leaders need to you know, make a resource. They are dog-earing the pages, highlighting, writing in the margins, and sharing and putting into action. It's a must-read. I love it. Wish I had it when I was in that principal role. I kid you not. <laughs> um, what an awesome tool. Wishing the best in all that you do. And by the way, don't forget, you got to check out the uh, Getting Unstuck Shift for Impact podcast also. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. It was so wonderful yeah, being on the show. It was show. nice being on the show. Nice being on this side of the desk. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. 
Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.